Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. What does it mean to live the Christian life? If you were to take a survey and ask a handful of people, what does that mean? What does it mean to live the Christian life? What does that mean to you? Then in general, the kind of answer you would get would sound something like this. The Christian life is about being obedient to God. And the reason why I would say that is because I've done this. I've asked people, tell me about the Christian life. What does it mean to be a Christian? And in general, the answers that I get have to do with obedience. And in some ways, I do believe that. But in general, I believe that in a different way. I believe obedience has to do with obeying the gospel and obeying the command to believe in God. So I do believe that in a certain way, but not in the same way that other people believe that. The reference that most people use is to look at Adam. They say, look at Adam. Adam was given a commandment. He was given a law by God, and Adam failed to obey that law. And that's why we have all the problems that we have right now. The reason Why we have all of the problems that we have today is because Adam disobeyed God. And so apparently, if we are going to overcome all of the problems that we have in our lives, we are going to have to start obeying God. Because, of course, if you look at Adam, he failed to obey God. That caused all of our problems. And so if we will start to obey God, if we will be obedient to our God and to his commandments, then all of our problems will be resolved. That is what people believe. This is what people believe. This is what they teach. This is exactly how they live. They refer to Adam and they say, look, Adam was disobedient, so we have all these problems. We need to be obedient and so that we can overcome our problems. And between then, we have Moses that we can refer to. We can look at Moses and we can see the law of Moses. Because if you look at the time period between Adam and Moses, apparently we didn't have all the laws that we really needed in order to properly govern ourselves, in order to live in the correct and precise way, so we could avoid all of the problems that we are having, or so that we could overcome the problems that we are having. And so we need some Moses. That's what we really need. This is what people believe. They believe that we need some Moses in our life. We need the commandments that God gave through Moses so that we can refer to them. We can be guided by them so that we can receive the instruction and the guidance that we need to ensure that we don't sin, to ensure that we are obedient to God. Now, of course, some of those commandments don't apply to us today because we don't have the temple, we don't have the Levitical priesthood, We don't have the opportunity to obey the festivals like they did back then. And so some of those laws are apparently obsolete. Consider what happened with the Lord Jesus. He died for the sins of humanity. And so the sacrificial system has become a bit obsolete. And so people will look at the law and they will say, well, 
we're going to take those laws that we can find a way to apply, and those laws are the ones that we are going to live by to ensure that we are obedient to God so that we can solve the problem that came into this world because of what Adam did. And then people look at Jesus, and Jesus, of course, taught the law. If you look at what he taught, he taught the law. He taught people to obey God. Follow the commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Be as perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He taught the law. When people asked him, what do we do? He said, obey the commandments of God. That's what he taught. He taught a life of obedience. And so we are to be inspired by that. People say that we are to be inspired and encouraged to live a life of obedience to the commandments that Jesus spoke of. And so again, people believe that the Christian life is a life of obedience because Adam was disobedient, the children of Israel were disobedient even though they were given the commandments through Moses, the people who Jesus spoke to were disobedient and so he spoke about them in that light, he spoke about them in that way saying that they were not as obedient as they needed to be, as they should be, do not be a hypocrite like them, that kind of stuff. And so This is what motivates people in their Christian life. In their lives, people are motivated to live this way. So if you're going to live a life of obedience, what are you going to need in order to be successful in this life of obedience? You're going to have to have some law. That's what you're going to need. You are going to need some law to follow, some commandments to obey. That is what you're going to need. And so that will be the purpose of of the law in your life so that you will know what you are to do and what you are not to do. And as long as you do those things that you are supposed to do and you don't do those things that you're not supposed to do, then apparently you are going to be right with God, right? Well, of course not. No matter how hard you try, no matter how committed you are to this task, No matter how devoted you are, no matter what you sacrifice, it doesn't matter because you will never be successful. And if you don't believe that, then that's fine. That just tells me that you need to keep at it. You need to try harder. You need to be more sincere. You need to be more devoted. You need to be more honest with yourself. Maybe you should ask some people around you and ask them how you are doing, how obedient you are, how loving you are. Ask people around you for some guidance, for some help, some discernment, some evaluation. You know, get some accountability in your life and so you can be sure that you really are as impressive as you think you are. But chances are you're going to find out that you're not as impressive as you think you are. And that should be a wonderful, encouraging thing for you. To be more devoted, to be encouraged to be more devoted and committed to the task. But the end result will always be Failure, it will always be failure because you forgot the deception. You forgot who started this to begin with. It was not God, it was the devil. The devil started this because he's the one who tempted Adam. He tempted Adam with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told Adam, listen, God does not want you to know what is good and what is evil. Because if you do, then you can be like God. You can be perfect. You can be holy because of your knowledge of good and evil and your obedience to the commandments of God based on this knowledge of good and evil that he has established, that he has planted right here in the Garden of Eden. It was the devil who promoted this. 
He is the one who lied to Adam and said that this is right for you, that this is how you need to live. And so when Adam believed the devil, he experienced the consequences that God said he would experience. But this is how it worked out. Adam looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said, I just need to know what the knowledge of good and evil is. And if I do, then I can be like God created me to be. I can perhaps even be better. And he ate from the wrong tree and then he had exposure to the knowledge of good and evil. He did. Now, the penalty that God described that Adam would experience was the penalty of spiritual death. And I explained this in the previous program, that the spiritual death was the real issue that now entered into the world and that this was an issue that would need to be resolved. But between the time of spiritual death entering into the world and God providing a solution to this problem of spiritual death, between that time, and of course the spiritual death occurred with the fall of Adam and it was resolved with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so between Adam and Jesus... What was God going to do? What would he do during that time period? Well, what he did was he dealt with the issue of the knowledge of good and evil. He dealt with that. He showed people. He gave enough evidence to demonstrate that we could not function on that basis. That through the knowledge of good and evil, we could not be who he created us to be that he created us to function in a completely different way that had nothing to do with the knowledge of good and evil. We did not have the knowledge of good and evil before Adam fell. And after Jesus rose from the dead and provided salvation, the knowledge of good and evil again would have no fundamental value to a new believer. We are now led and guided personally and individually by the Holy Spirit not by the knowledge of good and evil, not by the law. We are led by the Spirit, not by the law. And you cannot be led by both. If you are led by the law, you are not led by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not going to be led by the law. You're going to be led by your God, by this person, this individual who is within you, who will teach you and guide you and lead you into all truth. But again, between the time of Adam and Jesus, the living God resolved this question of do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil, or do we not? And he provided his contribution to this great effort of humanity to try to live on the basis of the knowledge of good and evil. And that contribution was the law of Moses. He gave the law of Moses to show that we could not obey it, that we could not function as he created us to function just because we know What is good and evil? That's why he gave the law. He gave it for that reason. He gave it to stir up more sin within an individual. But there is this belief that people have that is not true, but it is a belief that people have had ever since then that the law would reduce sin in a person's life. But it doesn't. It doesn't reduce sin. It increases sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says, The law came in so that the transgression would increase. That's what he said. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Again, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
So if the law was given so that sin would increase, so that the transgressions that people struggle with would increase, how does it do that? How does it increase sin when people have this belief that it's going to reduce sin? Well, there are several ways that the law increases sin. It depends on the individual. For example, some people will hear the law and they will say, you know, don't be telling me what to do. I mean, I'm a person, I'm an individual, and I can do whatever I want to do. And so just to show you, just to demonstrate to you that I am an individual, that I'm a person, I'm going to disobey the commandment that is placed before me, just to show that. Not everybody responds this way, but some people do. And that gives people an opportunity to increase the amount of sin in their lives. This, of course, doesn't happen for everybody. Some people will respond to it differently. They will hear the commandment and they will say, oh, yes, absolutely. I will definitely make sure that I do not do that. I won't do that. I won't do that. I won't do that. Do what? Well, that. Well, you know, that looks kind of appealing. And then all of a sudden, because that now looks appealing, it stirs up within you a desire to commit that sin. And whether you commit it in your flesh or not, your heart condition is exposed. And it shows that you have sin in your heart. It stirs up more sin within people because it gives them more things to think about not doing that they probably never would have thought about doing anyway. So the law will stir up sin in that way. Now, what happens if you feel that you have found a way to obey the commandment, to obey the law? If you believe that you have found a way to live in obedience to the law, well, now you have a different sin. Now you have the sin of religious pride because you are the only one who believes that. Nobody else believes that. Everybody knows better that you are not as impressive as you think you are. What are you going to do? Are you going to go before God and say, God, listen, I'm so glad that I'm here because I know that you are so glad that I am here. You've been waiting for me, haven't you? Because I'm one of those few people, one of the few people who has ever lived who was successfully obedient to your commandments. Are you not impressed? And of course he's not going to be impressed. You know that. But this is the sin of religious pride that gets manifested within an individual. Do not underestimate the ugliness of this sin before your God. It is terrible. It is horrible. Do not underestimate the seriousness of this sin that gets manifested because of the law in people's lives. But these are not the only ways that the law will create sin or encourage you to sin in your life. These are not the only ways. There's more. What happens when you realize that you fail? What happens then? Well, you know that according to the law, your God is disgusted with you. He will reject you. He will turn his back on you. And if he does, then you know that he doesn't accept you, that you are not acceptable before God. Now, this is a serious problem because you have a need for acceptance. And you know you have a need for acceptance. You know this. You commit all kinds of sins in your life because you want people to accept you. You do that. You know this. And so if your God does not accept you and you have a need for acceptance, then what are you going to do? You have only one alternative, and that is to turn to the world to try to find some peace, to try to get these needs met that you have for acceptance, for love, for meaning, for purpose. You have no alternative but to turn to the world because your God has turned his back on you. 
And when you do that, what happens? You engage in more sin. And so, again, the law stirs up more sin in your life because of the rejection that you are inevitably going to receive from your God, or at least you believe you are being rejected by your God because of your disobedience. And so you have to turn to the world, which will result in more sin in your life. So, again, Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, The law came in so that the transgression would increase. And these are some of the ways that transgressions will increase. So then what happens when you see Romans chapter 6, verse 1, a few verses down? In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it is written, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Now, why does he bring this up? Because he said... He said in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he says is, is that yes, sin increased because of the law, but grace is now here in order to deal with this issue, in order to provide us with salvation so that we can move on in our life. But what happens is that when people see that, they say, oh my goodness, if there is grace, if there is mercy, then why not just continue in sin? Why not just sin more so that we can get some more sin in our lives? And why do people ask these questions? If you haven't asked this question, you need to ask this question because it is a very important question to ask. This is a very important point for every believer to arrive at so that they will ask this question here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Well, the problem is, is that the law, the law increased sin. And so when people are given grace and they are given mercy and they are given forgiveness, people are afraid that people are going to use that as an excuse to sin. So what do we do? Well, we bury them under more law. People get buried under more law. What happens is that people teach, well, you've got to just be as obedient as you can be, and then when you fall short, well, that's what grace is for. It's to make up for the difference when you fall short. And that's a total lie. But this is what the vast majority of people believe. I just don't believe that. I don't see any evidence for that at all. But most people believe that we need to keep the law in our lives. We need to keep the law because if we let go of it entirely, then people might misuse or abuse forgiveness, use forgiveness for a purpose that God never intended, use grace for a purpose that God never intended. Now, I understand that there is great risk involved here. I understand that. I did a complete series on the subject of forgiveness, and I talked about this subject a lot. I did. I spoke about the subject of antinomianism and a number of other things, and I explained why I will still continue to teach complete forgiveness, even though there is great risk that people will misuse it. I will not use that as an excuse to lie to people and not tell them the truth because I'm afraid of what they're going to do with it. I did a complete series on this subject. I would like to encourage you to listen to the programs I did on forgiveness from start to finish. All of them, they are available for free through the Internet at my radio archive. Do take the time to listen to those programs. 
But here where he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? What people say is, no, we are to give them enough law to keep them under control, to keep them from sinning. But that is a total contradiction because sin results from the law. Sin comes from the law. It is increased by the law. That's where it comes from in the sense that that is where it gets increased. Now, if you did not have the law, you still can sin. You don't need that. He explained that in Romans chapter 5, that sin reigned and death reigned between the time of Adam and the law. But the giving of the law made it increase even more. So when people are concerned about what happens when we are completely forgiven and set free from the law, when people are concerned about that, then you need to consider chapter 6, verse 1 in that context. Because it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Well, if you have the law, you will continue in sin. You will. But people are worried about the grace causing sin to increase, but it's not. It's the law that causes sin to increase. And so this question is based on a deception. It is based on a person's belief. They're still wanting to hold on to this belief that the law will reduce sin in a person's life. And they're concerned that the grace of God will increase the sin in a person's life. But the truth is that it's the other way around. Grace will reduce sin in a person's life, whereas law will increase the sin in a person's life. Now, how can I say that grace will reduce the amount of sin in a person's life? Well, let's go back and consider the law and what it does to an individual when a person fails and the Lord turns their back on them. Well, grace does the exact opposite. Grace says that he will not turn his back on you, that he will continue to love you, that he will continue to accept you. And if he does, then what happens when the temptations of the world are presented to you? What happens when those temptations are presented to you? Well, the real root temptation that is there is a temptation that says that if you will sin, you will be accepted. If you will sin, you will be loved. That's the real temptation. So if a person will rest in the grace and mercy of God, in his love, in his acceptance, if a person will rest in that, then they will be able to say no to the false advertising of the world. They will be able to say no to sin, not because of the commandment, but because of the condition of their heart, because of who they are on the inside, because of the fulfillment that they have because of their relationship with their God. That is how a person will say no to sin. It will not happen because of a commandment or because of a law. It will only happen when their heart has been transformed and changed. When you as a person have been fulfilled by the presence of your God and what he has for you, only then will you have what you need in order to say no to sin. And so it's very easy for a person to ask this question, well, then why don't we just go out and sin if he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore? It's very easy for a person to say such a thing when they do not know the grace of God and the power of it. And that's what I hear. I hear people saying that. When they say we need the law because we need to keep people under control, it's only because they do not know the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They do not know the love of God and what he will do to an individual who rests and trusts and believes in him. 
They just don't know that. And so I want you to continue to pursue that because when you experience this personally yourself, you will then know what I'm talking about. And only then will you know what I'm talking about. But to do that, you must let go of the law and you must believe the truth that has been revealed about forgiveness, about grace and about mercy. The door has been opened to you through the complete forgiveness of sins, but you must walk through it and experience what's on the other side. You cannot just peek through the door and see if what you see meets your approval. It doesn't work that way. You have to let go of the law and live in the grace and mercy of God. Only then can he do a work within you and show you that sin will be increased by the law but it will be reduced by his grace. When Paul wrote his letter to Titus, in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The grace of God does that. If the law of God could do that, then the grace of God was never necessary. If the law could accomplish that, then he did not have to come and die for our sins. All he had to do is encourage us to do it and do it right. And then we would say no to ungodliness. But no, we have to completely die to the law in order to be resurrected to the new life that we can have in Christ Jesus that is based and founded on his grace and mercy. That is the foundation. But the new life is revealed after that. In the next program, I'm going to proceed into Romans chapter 6, and I'll show you that this really is a life or death matter, that you really do need to die to the world to become alive to Christ. And this, of course, is accomplished by the recognition that we are dead because of what he has done through resurrecting us. Adam was alive, and then he died. We were born into this world dead, and then we were made alive. He lost the Holy Spirit, we have gained the Holy Spirit. There was a problem, there is a solution. And through that solution, we now have a new relationship that we can enter into. And through this relationship, the living God will transform us. He will transform you from the inside. He will do a work within you that he could never do when you are preoccupied with the law. There is another work that he can do when you are resting in his grace and mercy and in his forgiveness. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.